Store Podcast. I really wish that was the introduction song. I wish we had like an 80s quick jingle. Uh, Comedy Store Podcast, guys. Welcome back. Rick Ingram here on a Friday night at the Comedy Store. Who knows when you're going to get to listen to this? Probably Monday or Tuesday or later, but uh, we're back. We're here. This is uh, our first episode, I believe, since the extremely controversial John Caparillo episode. And uh, with me today, Brenton Biddlecombe. Hey, guys. Comedy Store paid regular. I, I believe the first regular I've interviewed that's from the class younger than me. Yeah. I guess uh, Francisco, but he wasn't I think that I, far was, I was me. after him. Yeah. He was closer, I think, to my era. Um, as Argus would say, we got one of the young up and coming millennials here. Which is always exciting. Uh, how are you, Brandon? I'm good. Excellent. Good. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, man, for sure. I had to uh, walk up the stairs from my office to get here. So. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people don't realize uh, just how far into the, the depths, the corners of the building that people never know about this mm-hmm. podcast studio is. When, when I had Yakov on, he was standing downstairs uh, talking to, uh, I don't know if she's the assistant talent coordinator or just the talent coordinator in charge of the main room in La Jolla. Oh, Emily. Emily? Yeah. yeah. She's uh, the, the talent coordinator is. for La Jolla. And then she's just the booker for the main room and the right. room for off nights. Um, so she was standing with Yakov and Yakov was like, so confused. I said, yeah, we're actually up further. And he's like, there's further. Yeah. Yeah. Four stories. Yeah. It's crazy. I remember seeing this window uh, when I worked the parking lot. Every once in a while, I think it was the accounting office then. Yeah, when I got here, there was an accountant that worked up here like every day. Yeah. And uh, what they were doing, who knows? Yeah. But I, I do remember looking up here and maybe once or twice a year, the light would be left on. And then everyone was like, whoa, what's that? Mm-hmm. Why is there a light on? And uh, we would, of course, discuss ghosts, things of that nature, a very haunted past here. Um, Have you ever seen a ghost? I've I've been here six years. I've never seen anything, and I'm here late a lot. I'm here by myself all the time. I haven't seen anything. I don't I don't believe uh, in ghosts per se, but this this building has made me a lot more of a like a speculator. Where I'm like, I guess yeah. There's definitely a dark energy here, but I had the closest I had was uh, Mark Hatchell and I, a guy who used to work here, a uh, very funny guy, and. Uh, we got hired the same time years ago and we, we had to, you know, close down. If you worked, you had to close down the lights in the main room or whatever it was. And, uh, so you go to the back backstage and you'd shut off the actual, uh, fuse, fuse switches or whatever it was, turn everything off. So one night we were working and he turned off the lights in the lobby and I went and turned off the lights in the, backstage area and then we i mean it was pitch black so it was very clear that we had successfully turned the lights off yeah and then we walked back up front we were kind of waiting around probably smoking pot or something nefarious and uh then dean the manager was like you guys got to turn the lights off in the main room and it was one of those where i was like well we just did that and so he's like no they're on backstage so then i walked back and i'm like oh the light's on I'm like, what What jackass went back there, turned the lights back on, and then 
So I started walking backstage. And as soon as I got back onto the main room stage, then the lights shut off. But there there was no one in the backstage area. So it was one of those things where I'm like, you know, and it's electrical issues. I'm sure this building has them. But at the same time, there's no reason why when you turn a fuse off, the light should turn on. And then once you get close enough, shut off again. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of my, my moment where I'm like, I don't, I feel very uneasy. And I remember Hatchell standing in the back of the main room and he's like, dude, let's get out of here. I mean like, <laughs> yeah, all right. And again, the marijuana paranoia probably to some extent kicked in, but at the same time as one of those, you know, you had that, it felt suddenly felt really cold. Hair was standing up on the back of my, my mm-hmm. neck where it's just like, oh, this is creepy. Um, and then I had one incident in the green room of the belly room where I was uh, sitting with Sheezer and we were sitting on the couches, whatever. And it was, it was pretty late. It was dark. I don't know that we had any lights on other than like the, um, the hallway light. Yeah. So between the belly room and the green room. And we, we were sitting there, same situation, smoking pot. Uh, and, Door, heard the door open from the belly room and both of us looked up at the exact same time because we both saw someone walking towards us and there was just nothing there. It was one of those things where it was like, whoa. That's, those are the only experiences I've ever had in my life where I was like, you know, maybe maybe that shit is real. Mm-hmm. I've watched all those ghost uh, hunters shows and just been like, this is well, the dumbest garbage. shit of all time. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of my interpretation prior, but if there was ever going to be a ghost, I would say it'd be in this building. You got mm-hmm. never had any sort of experience. No, I know you're here alone a lot, right? I'm here alone a lot, but I'm also sober all the time. So yeah. I'm thinking clearly. Yeah, and I think that probably has a lot to do with it in yeah. general. And there's been so many stories over the years of people seeing ghosts. And at the same time, so many people wasted on various drugs. Yeah. I can only imagine three days high on cocaine. Never experienced that personally, but I, w- I would imagine that people are probably seeing things at that mm-hmm. point. So, um, I met the person who got allegedly pushed down the stairs. I don't know if you've ever heard that story. No. Someone who worked, uh, I think they were a phone guy. I'm not sure if they had a higher classification than that, but, uh, they got, they claimed that, uh, they turned around at the top of the stairs, uh, to the back stairs here. And there was a ghost there and the ghost, reached out towards them and they fell down the stairs and they sued the club and Mitzi banned them. Um, did he win the lawsuit? I don't think he did. Cause I, I can, once you're claiming really, that there was a ghost yeah. involved, I, I think the judicial system's kind of like, Oh cool. All right. That's fun. Um, yeah, I think I believe all that happened was they ended up getting banned from the club and they, when they, I met him, they said they hadn't been here in 12 years or 13 years or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were coming back, risking it. I think if I got pushed downstairs by a ghost, I'd probably just yeah, I wouldn't steer come clear. Back. I mean, as much as this place is like, you know, the frat house or a lot of people say when they come back and they haven't been here for years, it's like, oh, yeah, it's like going back to your high school or something. I think if I was assaulted by spirits, maybe I wouldn't go back to yeah, my high school. place doesn't like me. Yeah. So hard, hard to say, but... Um, that's as close, I guess, if I had to a ghost mm-hmm. story. Yeah, I haven't had anything, and I don't. I don't think I'm going to have anything. Probably not. I, again, I think sobriety probably is going to yeah. keep the spirits from getting to you. 
not that uh, the drugs and alcohol cause the spirits, but the spirits obviously attack those who are inebriated because, you know, that way people don't believe their story. Yes. Conspiracy theories at the comedy store. Um, how long you been here? Uh, just been over six years. Six years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You're one of those guys where I guess it just seems like you've been around. You're here frequently enough when I'm here. Mm-hmm. Uh, You've kind of become ingrained as part of the club. Six years ago, and you're how old? I'm 28. 28. So you showed up at 22, mm-hmm. looking like Bieber. Yeah. That that was my first remembrance of you was like, who's this kid? You looked like yeah. a child. I looked like I was 14. Yeah. Uh, you had kind of a Bieber haircut. This was what in the kind of the shaggy comb over Bieber yeah. era. Yeah. Pre, this is even before Bieber was a huge douche. Still like a child icon, and you mm-hmm. are our Bieber. And uh, I remember the first thing I remember thinking was, Barry Sobel's going to love this kid. And he did. Yeah. And that's what someone said. It's like, oh, no, yeah, Sobel already saw him. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, I, I bet. Um, would you come straight from college? Uh, no, it was a, a weird story, actually. Um, I came because of uh, I won a contest. Okay. That uh, you remember Jill Allen and and she was dating Dean at the time. Sure. And she was from Michigan and that's where I started comedy. And uh, so she set it up that this club out in Michigan was doing a contest and whoever won would come out to the store for a week and she'd put you up on some shows. And I won it and I came out. I was 21 and uh, I did my first spot in the belly room. Me too. And uh, I'm sitting in the green room and Bobby Lee comes in and... He sits down across from me. He looks at me for a minute and he goes, huh, when's the kid going up? I want to watch the kid go up. And so I go up and I have a good set and he's like sitting in there and I can hear him laughing. He has a very distinct laugh and I get off stage and he grabs me and he goes, Hey man, you need to move out here now. Like I'll help you out. Just, just come out to LA. I don't care what your story is. Just, just move out here. That's awesome. And, uh, I dropped out of school. I had one semester left. I had 13 credit hours to go and nice. I just came out here uh, as soon as I could. I saved some money and and then uh, I hung out here almost every night until they hired me. And it took about seven months. And I lied to Dean and told him I could drive stick shift and I should work the parking lot. And sure. They put me in the parking a lot. A lie many of us have made. Yes. I, I should point out, though, you can't do that anymore. Like, it's very strict and professional here now. You have to really you have to be able to drive the stick? You have to not lie on your resume because wow. they take stuff serious. People get written up here now. Like this is a real job working at the comedy store. Isn't like what it used to be where yeah. it was just, you can get drunk and, and just kind of show up. And as long as you're standing in the room, you're okay. And now it's, you know, they take it very serious. Yeah. That, I mean, that is a, a, a complete one. I mean, it's, it's, busy it is. it's a different club. Yeah. When, when I worked here, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna act like I didn't, park cars and drink because I definitely was doing that. Yeah. I mean, I used to drink when I started here, but there was no, there was no one here. Yeah. Even on like a, a Saturday night, there's only main room shows on Saturday. Even on a Saturday night, there would be, you know, maybe if you're lucky, 80 to a hundred people in the main mm-hmm. room and probably 20 to 30. Yeah. Now they in do the two shows. They do 700 people. Yeah. They're, they're selling the it out. Room. So it's completely different. And, uh, 
We we also were only getting twenty five dollars a night, no yeah. matter how many hours you worked, and some sort of an illegal Asian child labor yeah. scheme. I mean, I had a lot of hours shaved when I started. Yeah, I was putting in like sixty, seventy hour weeks. Love Gilbert to death. He was the master of removing hours that people worked. Mm-hmm. I don't even think he got anything out of it. It was just like Gelber's power. Like, yeah, you know, I don't think he was really working all those hours. Yeah. Um, but I I remember the same thing because I remember we decided like, oh, we gotta keep track of all of our hours so we can complain about the fact we're getting paid illegally. I had a shoebox of all my time slips. Yeah, smart. Yeah. And so. uh, somehow they still managed to get away with it for years. But um, because of him and because of Jill, I'm out here. So, Which is crazy because I, I don't like thinking that uh, Jill had any positive influence on anything, but now it seems like a, an intricate part of the club and uh, someone who's really helped i mean you've really helped make the club what it is right now Mm -hmm. taking over what was probably the most inept social media aspect of the club just really in no way benefited the club and now it's great you do a great job with that as well so um you know don't ever insult brenton on social media because you will get blocked you know i've only blocked a couple of people is that right and it was very recent what were they insulting the club? Did they insult you? Um, they were insulting uh, lineups, and then one guy tonight. Um, you didn't I posted, block someone tonight. I blocked someone That's tonight. So great. I've blocked Fresh. Two, two people now. Wow! And this guy, he's like, "Oh no, Gary Shandling popping tonight." So I was like, eh, "Fuck that!" I'm not get gonna, him out of there. Yeah, I'm not going to deal with that. We have enough followers now that I'm not worried. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I should have grabbed a, a copy of the the official comedy store comment, but Gary Shandling, who passed away yesterday. Is that right? Yesterday? Up. Yeah, he passed away yesterday. He was a uh, a comedy store regular, and he was one of those guys that uh, he's, he's like a legendary comedy store guy. Uh, this is the official comedy store he, statement. He did his first ever set here. Is that right? Yeah. I, so I, he, I know he was one of those guys that Mitzi made showcase hundred times. Yeah, he that's, did, that's he did over a hundred times. What I heard, um, which I thought was great, was she didn't like him because he was a TV writer. Yeah, and uh, he would come in on potluck, and everyone else loved him. So she would leave the room, and then they'd bring him up so he could do some time before she came back in. I mean, that's you know, that's classic Mitzi. She, she's giving him a chance, but really not treating him probably fairly. Yeah. Uh, Comedy Store official statement regarding the passing of Gary Shandling. The Comedy Store deeply mourns the passing of a genuine part of our family. The great Gary Shandling meant so much to the store and the Shore family, and few comedians were more devoted to the store and Mitzi. Sure than Gary. He was part Jewish American prince, part Jack Benny with a dash of David Brenner and some Oscar Wilde thrown in for good measure. His incredible sense of inventiveness, timing, and humor was surpassed only by his level of kindness, warmth, and generosity towards friends, young comics, audiences, and strangers. The Comedy Store will always remember and honor the great Gary Shandling, and his spirit will remain forever in our showrooms and in our hearts. He, uh... I only met him one time. Well, I guess I met him twice, but I only had an interaction with him uh, a couple times. One was at the 40-year reunion, mm-hmm. and the other was uh, maybe a couple months before that. He came in one night, and uh, I can't remember if it was maybe Frazier or Dom Herrera. Someone introduced me to him in the back hallway, and he commented that I was young, and I was probably already my late twenties. I wasn't 30 yet, but 
I was definitely in my late twenties and I, I looked younger than that, but I felt pretty old cause I'd already been here for seven or eight years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he asked how long I've been doing comedy. I said, I've been doing it for a while. And, uh, he said, are you a, a paid regular here? And I already immediately started having like that. Do I lie to him? Knowing his story with how many times Mitzi made him showcase and how many years he performed here before she made him a regular. And it was such to the point that uh, Ari Shafir showcased a lot of times. And the the comment was that he was the Gary Shandling of our class mm -hmm. because no matter how many times he performed, she never passed him. And uh, I got passed the first time I ever showcased for Mitzi. And it was a complete fluke. And I in no way was deserving. It was just one of those lucky chances where it was like I had an okay set. She was in a good mood. She showed up specifically to pass Ari Shafir that night. She passed Kirk Fox that same night and she passed me and I was just showcasing to not get fired from being a parking lot guy doorman. Um, but I didn't know whether I should tell him that or not. Um, and I, I did, I just, I said, yeah, uh, I've been a regular here for seven years. And he said, uh, I said, Oh wow. How many times did you have to showcase? I said, uh, I was 21 and it was the first time I ever showcased. And he said something along the lines of like, Oh, you're the young guy who can fuck off. And, uh, I just started laughing and he was like, no, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. Obviously, uh, you lucky bastard. And mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, yeah, I, uh, I've heard the stories, you know, people, I don't know if it's exaggerated, but they say, you know, you had to showcase hundreds of times. And he was like, it's, that's probably accurate. I probably showcased, went out in front of Mitzi a hundred times before she passed me. And if it wasn't a hundred times, it felt like a hundred times. Mm -hmm. It was one of those moments where I was like, wow, that. I'm so glad I didn't follow, have that trajectory. Well, I fit into the class where we didn't showcase. You were just kind of here. Right. And Tommy would eventually just say, okay, you're a paid regular now. Right. Usually you'd go down to La Jolla and then he'd give you a call and say, when you come back, you're going to call in for paid regular spots. And wow. that's kind of how it happened. Yes. Yeah. See, I, I didn't, I, I, I remember the era where he was claiming that Mitzi was watching tapes and I knew for sure she wasn't watching None tapes. None of us had tapes. But Yeah. You're like, oh, I actually watched your tape of the open mic. Paid are the employees and friends and family. Mm -hmm. People were like, huh? I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, it was really uh, how long have you guys, been a regular? Um, October 2013. Okay, so it'll be three years this year. Mm -hmm. I remember hosting the open mic years ago. It was probably you'd maybe been here two or three years, uh, and you were basically the only employee at that time who had a set that was uh, that I would deem a comedian the set everyone else pretty much was terrible I remember bringing my wife I, I don't I don't know that we were married yet then but I remember she used to come up here a lot and she came one night when I host she wanted to see me host and that was her comment was the only the only one who's any good is Brent and the rest Thank of them are you. terrible I like, miss yeah. you hosting by the way you it was good time. The it, most entertaining host out of anybody who hosts that. Uh, I think that's probably because I liked your set. Uh, I, I guess there's got to be some people who are not fans of me as a host, uh, just due to my truth of their quality of comedy. Mm -hmm. I think hosting is one of those things a lot of people don't know how to do it right. 
and maybe I don't know how to do it right, but I felt like I you did. You do it right for that room and for that show, though. Yeah. Where you're you're making fun of the person without being mean. Yeah. And, and it, you keep the show moving. That's the, that's the thing is when you host, I feel like you work for the show. Mm-hmm. It's A lot of people treat it like it it's, makes it their show and they can do whatever they want. And you really, there's a relationship you have with the audience. I always looked at it like you have to be honest with them because if you're not honest with them, uh, they're going to, will turn on you. Mm-hmm. And if you put up a bunch of terrible comics and you don't address it, you don't address the fact that, yeah, look, some of these guys have no idea what they're doing. Then the crowd's going to be like, if you go up there each time, be like, oh, this next guy's great. You're going to love him. And then they go up and bomb. And then you go up there after him and you're like, wasn't he great, everyone? Give a round of yeah. applause for for Jake. And people are going to be like, what is this dude, an asshole? That guy was terrible. So you have to be honest with them. Mm-hmm. And if you, you know, you know there's going to be a few decent people. You just keep telling them, reminding them, we got some good comics coming up. You got to get through this. If you make it through it, you'll enjoy yourself. Um, but it's also very wearing to, to host the open mic here. There's a lot of hanger-ons that, yeah, expect I mean it's it's a four hour show for you. Yeah, and you get tired. You you end up bringing up. I usually get between fifty and sixty people. And you, you can't. They're each doing at least three the minutes. First part, they're doing three minutes. Yeah. So you really can't go really take a break on that now too, because they made the show shorter for the employees. So everybody's oh. three minutes across the board, unless it's like somebody big dropping in. Right. So yeah, it was tough. It was you had to keep it going, and Tommy. I, I haven't hosted since uh, Tommy wasn't in the cover booth, basically. Mm-hmm. But he he more or less told like ten to twenty people that he'd try and get them up uh, during the open mic. So all these people showed up because Tommy had more or less kind of told them like, "Oh, I'll see if I can get you up." And then a lot of the times he would do it, and I'd show up and be like, "Well, so and so's here." You know, I, I told him to come in, but I only told him that because I know you won't put him up. And it's like, so now they hate you. Now they hate me. Um, which I guess I, I didn't care, but it's yeah. one of those things where it's just like, why don't you just tell people no? Yeah. Why don't you tell them it's the employees and I try and get up. I'd, if you're, if I was lucky, I'd maybe four or five people who weren't employees or on the open mic would get up. Mm-hmm. And they were usually people that I knew you know, for a while people, maybe I did open mic with would show up and I'd try and get them up, but it just wasn't, it it became not fun because it was just too much having to deal with crazy, terrible people and delusional people who thought they were way better than they were. When I first started doing it, there was people coming through that they weren't that great then probably, but I felt like the, the caliber of, of comedian was higher and maybe it's because I was not as good of a comedian. Mm-hmm. So my bar was lower. But I remember like TJ Miller, who's very successful oh, actor yeah. now. He used to always come in and be like, Hey, you put me up. Yeah. Like, I'll try man. I can't guarantee it. I'm way funnier than these people. I'd be like, yeah, I don't know what to tell you, man. Just <laughs> hang out. And I, I don't recall anyone from that later era though, that has gone on to do anything. So there's just a lot of people that drove me crazy. There's there's like ten female comics who are terrible that had some relationship with Tommy in terms of him telling him, "Well, we'll try and get you stage time." They'd all show up. Oh yeah, Tommy said he put me up. Like, yeah, well, you're not getting up. Mm-hmm. And I had a girlfriend, so there was no flirting your way in. Yeah, 
which I've, happens I've had, quite I've often. Had people try time. that on me too. Definitely, there's it, it rages you out, and the opportunities you see terrible comedians that you don't respect at all get uh, infuriates you, especially when you work here and you like put in all these hours yeah. and effort, and then you're just seeing like Joe Schmo, who's never been a part of the club and isn't funny and isn't on TV. Mm-hmm. There's no reason for, for some reason they move I up. I think what's unique about this place and that anger is that it breaks you down so much that if you can build yourself back up, you're going to be the best comic and that you could possibly be and, and, you know, as good as anybody anywhere coming up. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it, my first it definitely intro, drives you. my first intro when I was an employee and I finally got up on stage for potluck was this next guy. It's his first time. He's our newest employee. He's fucking awful. If you need to go to the bathroom, go now. You wow. know, if you need to smoke, get out of here because he's not going to be good. This is not going to go well. Here he is. Who was it? Who hosted? Uh, it was Hinchcliffe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could. Uh, he had a way of kind of just being mean. He, he didn't really. There was no like trying to be fun about it. It was just like he thought he was just going to roast. No, everyone. but it was entertaining at times. But the point is. For sure. Like. You know, no, a lot of my intros were that. I got a lot of Bieber intros. I got stuff that, like, the intro when I started here was funnier than anything I was going to say. And it made me work to the point where if they did, and everyone who hosted that would bring me up and insult me, they stopped after a while because my sets got better. You got to earn it, yeah. I earned it. And then if they made an asshole comment bringing me up, I was funnier than that. And the audience would turn on the host. Sure. You know, so that's that's the good thing about that is it makes you work so much harder. Yeah, I remember uh, first time my parents ever watched me do comedy was uh, employee spot at the, and during the open mic or whatever. And there was this female comic named Christy Miller who used to be around here a lot. I think she's New York based now. I, I actually haven't seen her in quite some time, but Mitzi used to give her spots. She was kind of like a... I don't know how to describe it. Like, I guess she's kind of like a rocker chick, like mm-hmm. East Coast rocker chick. She wear like leather pants and she looks like you'd see her at like a Van Halen concert or Def Leppard concert or something. And she, uh, she would host the open mic. Back then it was usually Skippy Simon would host one night. We had open mic three nights a week then. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday wow. was open mic. So, we got paid 25 bucks, but we got three automatic spots yeah. a week. And the club was so dead that paid regulars wouldn't show up for Tuesday nights. So Have you it, been here on a Monday lately? No, I haven't. It's uh, like they kick comics out now because they got to fill the seats with the uh, customers. I saw a picture, I guess you probably posted online, of the open mic where yeah. it's like a full. The, yeah, the, the front open, rows were the all open packed. micers are going up in front of 40 people now. Yeah, see, that's crazy. But I hosted a couple of weeks ago, and, and we kicked everyone out of the back. It was 150 paying customers. Wow, during the open mic. Yeah, like the friends and family. So employees are going up in rooms that we don't even see most of the time. I mean, I remember looking out the first couple open mics I did, and it was just the other comics who got yeah, picked out of the bucket. Totally. Like, there wasn't a single audience member. That's how it was for me. I, I went up the first... Um, open mic I did here was on Super Bowl Sunday and there was no audience and everyone was out front watching the game. There were no comics in the back. So it was literally just Eric Marino brought me up (laughs) and it was three minutes in just an empty room. Wow. Yeah. There was, there was always a few of the other comics there judging and Gaylord Dingler and some of the other crazies, Mickey that were always just around. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, we, we got to do it three nights a week. So that was really nice. It was, 
be Skippy one night, Ari one night, and Christy Miller one night. So my parents came out. They were in town from Kansas, and uh, I told them, you know, I lived in Manhattan Beach at the time. I said, yeah, I'm going to drive up and do this open mic if you guys want to come. They're like, yeah, we want to see you perform. I did impressions and stuff back then. It was terrible. And uh, Christy Miller was hosting, and she brought me up. Uh, I think I was probably like probably the fourth or fifth employee to go up that night. So they sat through the whole open mic. My dad loved Gaylord Dingler because he was so crazy. He thought that was so funny. And then the rest of them, the comics were just terrible. And Christy Miller brings me, oh, this next guy works here. And uh, he has a big hole in his mattress that he sticks his dick in. And that's as close to fucking anything as he's ever going to get. Jesus. I was just like, what? What? How is this? I remember just walking on stage already just like, I don't think there's any way I can win. Mm-hmm. My parents are two of the only, like seven people in the room. And uh, so I went up, I did my terrible shtick about, did like a, a Harry Carey impression that was basically just a rip off of Will Ferrell's Harry Carey. And I did a uh, impression of George Bush, George W. Bush that I called uh, the adventures of young George W., it was basically just George W. Bush in college doing coke and partying and stuff. So I did my three minutes and got off stage. My parents, I think, were just like, this, this is why you stopped going to KU and <laughs> moved to Los Angeles is for this. And I just remember Chris Miller, oh, that was fucking terrible. Mm-hmm. You're never going to see that guy again. And just being like, oh, man, this this lady, how dare she? I've bombed a lot in front of my parents, but the redeeming thing the the contest was big and they came out here with me and bobby actually talked to my mom and was like you should let him just move out here That's so nice. that was big and then uh the first time i went on the road with paulie was toledo ohio and they live right by there so they came and saw me so that was like a big deal to them that's nice yeah my parents came to wichita which is like a three-hour drive from where they live uh when i was with paulie brought my grandma and a bunch my of grandparents have never seen me and Just, I, don't, I don't think they will. Yeah, all, all my grandparents are dead now, but uh, one of them came out, saw me in Wichita. She was my cool grandma. Like Out of all my grandparents, she was the, the fun one. And, uh, you know, I told butt sex jokes and mm-hmm. all the filthy things that my set as a 23-year-old was back then. And... uh I remember telling it and then being like, I just told a anal sex joke in front of my grandma and my grandma just waving both hands <laughs> at the rest of the crowd in Wichita. So excited about it. She came up to me afterwards and said, sorry, it's kind of dirty. And she said, you sounded like your grandfather up there. He would have been so excited to watch you tell those jokes. And my grandpa was a Marine fought in Korea sailor's mouth on him for mm-hmm. sure. Some of my fondest childhood memories are listening to my grandpa curse and, scream and say quasi not fully racist things yeah um but yeah it was great and then my grandma actually multiple times flew she went to australia and korea and somewhere else towards the end of her life like kind of bucket list things she wanted to go do and she'd stop in la with some of her friends for a day or two and uh shop here basically she'd always want to go to the comedy store and I'd be like, are you sure you want to come there? Like first time I brought her, she, uh, she came and it was like a, probably a random Wednesday or Thursday night. And I 
had to do a pop in. I didn't get stage time really back then. Mm-hmm. So she stayed until like one fifteen with her friend Swanee to watch me go up on stage. And I remember getting off stage and Don Barris coming up and being like, Hey, Darnell, you want to go get high? And like, Oh, this is my grandma. She's like, you're, you're Darnell's grandma. She's like, who's Darnell? <laughs> He's like, this black son of a bitch and pointed at me. And my grandma was so confused. And she's like, do you do heroin? You want to go do some heroin? She's like, I've never done heroin, but I'll try it. And look on Don's face. Just like, that's so awesome. <laughs> Actually, I don't have any heroin. I'm sorry. You're, you're too hardcore for me. She's, Who was that man? Well, that's Don. Don't mm-hmm. worry about him. Um, yeah, performing in family is weird, especially when you're not I don't mind comfortable. It. I'm pretty comfortable around my parents, and then my brothers have seen me a bunch. Yeah. I don't care now. I'm, I'm cool with that. My parents yeah. came out to Vegas when I was doing shows last year, and it was fun, but... Uh, I was very uncomfortable my first couple of years, especially the poly thing. I was really uncomfortable because it was one of those things where it's like, I don't want my parents to see me or Polly. My parents love Polly. That's so funny. Um, I don't think they've up until recently, I don't think they'd ever seen a movie of his and didn't right. really know who he was. But since I've been touring they, they with took him, you with them. So yeah, well they go now to see him when even I'm not with them. They've seen him, I think two or three times now without me being there. Wow. And yeah, they, I, don't, I don't think my parents would do that. I don't yeah. know that they would go see my, comedy. My parents love comedy. My dad took me to see Carlin when I was really young, and and like he raised me on Kinnison and classics. And yeah, my like, parents are. They might be older than your parents, I guess, but they uh, they were like real into like Steve Martin and yeah. My dad that, that saw kind of Steve Martin back in like the seventies. Yeah, it's one of my parents. I don't know if it was one of their first dates, but one of their dates they went on early on when they first were together was to see Steve Martin at. University of Kansas. Mm-hmm. And I remember them telling me that story several times being like, Oh, that sounds cool. I'd like to do that. So you just, you work very little and you get paid good money. That sounds like a dream gig. I didn't realize there was like 10 years of being a huge loser before yeah. you got to yeah. make adequate money to, and here we are to feel it. <laughs> here we are. Uh, actually finally making, uh, living wages from main room shows, which is shocking. Yeah. Doing those, uh, doing those spots back in the day was brutal. So, I mean, you still were happy to get more than $15, but you'd be lucky to make 50 bucks. Yeah. Whereas now it's selling it out. It, it took a little bit, but I've been doing the social media three years now and, um, it's hard to get a ticket anymore. I don't give away tickets. I started giving away tickets and that helped a lot. Right. And then, over time, it's just, you know, the lineups are too good. Yeah. So they, they don't, we don't do giveaways anymore at all. We do sometimes. It really just depends on the lineup now. But right. tonight, like we have 400 people downstairs and they're all paying customers. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had the first uh, incident where someone called me on a Thursday, wanted to come to a, I think they wanted to come to a Saturday show. They wanted to bring like six people with them or there's going to be six total mm-hmm. and just being like, yeah, all right. And I called up the, the store. He's like, hey, can I put these people on the list? And Luke Schwartz answered. He's like, no, it's full. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, show's sold out. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, I mean, they can come do standby. We might be able to get them in or something. I'm like, well, no, I'm not telling them to come up. Yeah. That's for real? He's like, yeah. I was like, wow, okay. It's been fun to watch, man. Like, we took uh, the Twitter from about 18,000, and I don't know how many of those were like, 
paid followers and we're like almost at 65,000 and like Instagram is. Why aren't we verified? I don't know. I don't know how to get verified. We, we got to be able to talk to someone about that. Who knows how someone let us know how to get verified. How do we get the comedy store Twitter account verified? We're the most followed club on Twitter and Instagram. We're not verified. That's crazy. Yeah. I don't know how any of that stuff works. I'm terrible at all things. No, computer. I don't I don't want to create another job for myself. So I haven't really cared. Like people know it's us. Yeah. I guess. It's, and there's, there's no fake already like, well, there's like 20 other comedy stores all over the planet. Really? There's like two in London. I know, I know the English ones. Yeah. There's uh there's one in India. There's one in Australia. Wow. And I'm sure there's a few more that we don't even know about. And then there's just like places called the comedy store that aren't even. It's just some place. Yeah. It's like a dive bar basement somewhere. Yeah. There's a place that sells like books. Classic. Get those great Shakespearean comedies. Mm-hmm. Uh, who uh, who were your favorite comics when you were growing up? You said you saw Carlin and that was that stuff. was big because Carlin was still like he was still like Mister Conductor on Shining Time Station. Yeah. Um, but I loved uh, Hedberg was my favorite. Still is. Interesting. I loved Mitch Hedberg because I started like just doing one liners. Yeah, yeah. He uh, Hedberg was he was great. He, and at the same time, one of the most frustrating, successful comedians in the world because uh, there was a lot of that going on. There was a lot of comics for a couple of years on the open mic circuit that just did everything Hedberg style. Yeah. And the difference was Mitch Hedberg was a brilliant comedian, and these guys are probably accountants in Duluth now. Yeah. Uh, but they were certainly just trying to just straight rip his style, and it was... I just remember like hosting an uh, open mic one time and it was, uh, was that some shit little cafe in uh, studio city? And there's probably 10 comics on the show and six of them were Hedberg ripoffs. Mm-hmm. And I just remember being like, none of you are that clever to be doing this. And, uh, I had the opportunity to meet him the one time and he was super cool and super nice. And I was hanging out with OJ Simpson at the time and he was so amused by that. He was just like, what, are you friends with OJ? I was like, you were hanging out with OJ Simpson and Mitch Hedberg came up to you. Yeah. Hedberg with his mom and his girlfriend or wife, whoever it was. And, uh, I think I've told this story probably on the podcast before. So if you're a regular listener, I apologize, but he, uh, he walked up, I, I was on tour with dice. We were in Miami and, OJ Simpson came to our show and wanted to meet us after the show and Dice refused to meet him. He's like, no, that guy hates women. Completely oblivious to the fact that Dice, his act is just yeah. the ultimate <laughs> misogynist, chauvinist. And, uh, but in real, the real world is not like that. Yeah, and, of course. But I mean, the, one of the first times I was here with my dad and my brother, when we, we drove out here together to move me here, um, I went up on stage and, uh, and then, uh, Adam Sajan came over and he was working here and he goes, Hey, Mr. Dice Clay wants to talk to you in the tunnel. And it was literally like the first time I went up when I'd moved out here, I wasn't an employee yet and just right. gotten there like hours ago. And, uh, Dice is down there and he's got two chicks on either side of him and they got huge fake tits and he goes, Hey kid, you're going to be all right. Just don't let the audience fuck with you and you'll be good. And I was like, Oh, thank you. And then he like, Ignore me. I was like, oh, okay, the conversation's over. But <laughs> yeah. he went up like maybe an hour later, and my dad is grabbing my brother, going, "Look, look, look! See those two women that are sitting there? They're gonna hate this guy, but it's gonna be so funny." <laughs> and he went up and just murdered, and he walked the two women. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I, 
we that same tour I was in, we were in New Brunswick, New Jersey, and Dice is doing a show on this bull dyke looking woman, head to toe in denim, feathered mullet haircut, stood up about 10, 15 minutes into his set. I was like, you're disgusting. He's like, where the fuck do you think you are? <laughs> and he just started ripping into what What'd you think you're going to see Jerry Steinfeld? And he kept calling him Steinfeld. I thought it was so funny. And then he kept doing his impression. A lot of people don't know that Dice started as an impersonator. So he still has like the ability to kind of mimic people. Mm-hmm. And this lady's getting all mad and trying to get her ticket and stuff. And Dice just wouldn't give up. Well, what do you think was going to happen tonight? You were going to come see Andrew Dice Clay and I was going to do observational jokes? <laughs> asshole people. <laughs> Who are these asshole people? It was like the worst Seinfeld ever, though, but so funny. She got a man left, and he's like, no, we're going to fucking wait for you to go because God forbid I offend you anymore. He's going, you are the strangest looking dude I've ever seen. <laughs> people just loving it. Um but yeah, he refused to meet OJ and uh, I was super excited. So I, I was totally down to meet OJ. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming those are our fans yelling outside. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was sitting at a bar with OJ and I sat with OJ for about 30 minutes talking. And uh, towards the end, Mitch Hedberg walked up and I turned and was like, holy fuck, it's Mitch Hedberg. He was like, hey man, uh, we watched your show tonight. And, uh, you know, it was really funny. And, uh, I wanted to introduce you to my parents. And I was like, wow. So I meet his, I think it was his girlfriend. I don't know if they're married or not, mm-hmm. but I met his girlfriend and his mom. And, uh, and then he was like, Hey, uh, we saw you standing earlier today in front of Hooters. There's a Hooters in coconut Grove where the improv in Miami is. And it's like maybe a block away from the club. And I was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. How'd, how'd you know it was me? And he's like, cause I was like, Hey, look how lonely that guy standing by himself in front of Hooters looks. And we all laughed. <laughs> I just remember being like, yeah, yeah, all right. That kind of sucks. But I was definitely standing in front of Hooters earlier. It's like, man, what am I going to, I have nothing to do. I'm just hanging out by myself in front of Hooters. Um, and then I, uh, he kind of cornered me and asked me about a bag of pills. Uh, Cause I was staying in the, the, Improv's condo mm-hmm. at the Four Seasons. They ha- have two different uh, suites, more or less. And I was staying in the one that he had been staying in. It was the headliner's suite because Dice refused to stay at the Four Seasons because he said the Four Seasons is not a five-star hotel. So he stayed somewhere else down in South Beach. I stayed in the headliner thing. And I found a bag of pills in the uh, drawer next to the bed. And uh, he, he said it was his vitamins and asked if he could pick them up. And I was like, sure. So I gave it to him. And uh, then when he passed away, like six months later, seven months later, I remember being like, man, maybe I shouldn't have given him those vitamins. But I, I believe he died of a heroin overdose. Yeah. So. I think it was something to do with an overdose with and methadone like heart failure. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it was uh, one of those cool instances where I was stuck in between crazy worlds of yeah. someone I really respected and a murderer slash football star. <laughs> but it's a great TV show. <laughs> I mean, Mitch OJ and me would have been yeah. the biggest show on Netflix for sure. He, uh, you know, OJ, super huge comedy fan. You never, maybe you would guess, but uh, one of the most bizarre fan experiences I ever had where it was like, 
OJ Simpson's my biggest fan. Mm-hmm. Remembered all my jokes. Wanted to talk to me about my bits, what he thought was funny, what he thought could be better, what I could add, just stuff from like, is OJ punching up my my hilarious shtick about That's being amazing. from Kansas? Um, yeah, it's one of those uh, one of those few experiences. You've been on the road with anyone other than Polly, or is Polly pretty much your? Uh, uh, Polly's my bread and butter, but I've I've done some stuff with Taylor Williamson. That's been a lot yeah. of fun, and and uh, just like random one nighter stuff with other guys like right. Del Ray and Steve Trevino and stuff. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting when you go on the road with with headliners. Just the the places, I guess you would never expect you were ever going to go. Yeah. What, what's the worst place you've had to go with Polly? Um, God, I mean, I kind of I kind of love it all. I yeah. love I love the middle of the country, but I, we did the first ever comedy show in Maquoketa, Iowa. Wow. And uh, I, I mean, I I grew up fairly close to Iowa. I've been to Iowa lots of times. My dad grew up in Bettendorf. I have no idea where that place is. I don't either. Said. And I've been there. Makoka? Makokana. Makokana. Makokana, Iowa. I hope we have listeners there. We're like, hey, but honestly, Hollywood. The the worst place was Vegas for me. Because I was there by myself and you do so many shows and they're I did the all, improv. Yeah, I did the improv and I would do it again in a second, but I wouldn't. I would I would want to go with somebody because I was just by myself for seven days in Vegas and I don't gamble. I don't drink. I had the same experience two years ago. You're just hanging I out. I would, I was like, you know what? I'm never going to do this again. It's 110 degrees. It was You've terrible. Got nothing to do. I was there in November. So the weather was okay, but same thing. I didn't want to do it. I don't, I don't gamble. I can't yeah. drink anymore. I didn't smoke pot anymore. It was, uh, it was miserable. I was with, uh, an older black dude who, I think he has MS and his comedy act was very aimed towards that. Or it's almost like a one man show more mm-hmm. than it was comedy. And a guy named Ron Morey, who's real nice dude. And his comedy is just, you know, he's kind of like that Fraser Smith type of comic, like cutting edge in 91, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was miserable. I didn't really hang out with those guys. And I don't have a lot of money to be spending on stuff. And they were like, well, you know, you can just eat at the employee cafeteria, which was the worst place on earth. It was the same food. It was like all three meals for it, seven days. Yeah. It basically felt like you were in a prison. The The way the seating was, it was like racially divided Yeah, everywhere. And then just like me sitting by myself, looking around like, am I really going to eat Fruit Loops again? Did you, um, did you host when you were there? Yeah. Yeah. So you go up and you do the five minutes and, and they you hate 10, you. Yeah. And then you come back and you're like, why are you back here doing yeah. 10 more well, minutes? Just bring up the next guy so we can leave. Yeah. And the shows were not popular cause no one, none of us were famous. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm sure every comic thinks they're the best, but I feel like I was considerably better than the other two guys, which always is weird. A couple of times it's happened to me in Vegas where I, I featured or emceed and I was definitely funnier than them and you could just feel the resentment of the headliner. I haven't felt that way. I didn't feel that way in Vegas. Oh, it was terrible. Feature and the headliner were, were great and they killed. I struggled immensely, especially the first night. Like they hated me and I hated the fact that I had to wait 20 minutes to go back up and bomb for 10 more minutes. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was okay, but it was kind of like comedy store back in the day. There was the biggest crowd we had was probably 30 people. And that was Friday or Saturday night. I remember one of the first nights I was uh, hanging out here. Um, The show didn't start until like 10, 15. It was supposed to start at nine, but there weren't six people in the audience. Right. 
So four people hung out for an hour just, just waiting and then two more people wandered in and like the middle of the show opened the show. A lot yeah. of people were just like, fuck this, I'm leaving. Yeah, yeah. There there was plenty of years where I, I would call in and eventually I moved two blocks away, so I would just show up anyway. But mm-hmm. when I lived in Manhattan Beach, I would call in just be like, what, what are we looking at? I'd have a spot at like 1230 or 1245. And mm-hmm. be like, oh, we, we've got seven people right now. And I'd be like, all right, in two hours, that's going to be maybe two or three people. And be like, man, as much as I want to go up there, I'm just not going to drive up there to yeah. perform for that. But yeah, it was, it was bad, man. They, the, uh, one of the nights I'm trying to, trying to be a good host and, you know, let them know stuff the club wants you to tell them and all that. And, uh, you know, I said, we got two great comics coming up. You guys are going to like them. And there was probably 16 to 20 people in the, in the room at that point. And, uh, table four right in the front row stands up starts walking. I go, wow, but did I really walk you this early in the show? I'd only been on stage for like two minutes. And the guy was like, we're supposed to be at Rita Rudner. And I was like, Oh, and she's performing in the big showroom upstairs. <laughs> and I go, Oh, well, if you want, I can just, I can do the Rita Rudner joke. I remember from comedy central in the, in the nineties. And he's like, what? And I, I went into, how come you mix water and flour and it makes paste, but then you add sugar and it makes cake. Where did all the paste go? The guy was like, is that really her joke? I go, yeah, that, that was really on the Comedy Central commercial for Premium Blend for a solid three or four years. <laughs> he was like, well, we might be back if it's that bad. And I just remember being like, I probably shouldn't have shit on the, the big room performer, but. And they, they didn't come back. They obviously enjoyed Rita Rudner enough that they didn't yeah. want to see me and Ron Morey and and a guy talk about his dead daughter and his multiple sclerosis yeah. as a headliner. This business is humbling. Yeah, I, uh, it was bad enough. And I, I, I don't like Vegas in general. The hotel is kind of scummy that you stay at for that show. I, and, I uh, had a nice room. Like, it wasn't the side of it that I didn't like it was I eventually had to stop eating the cafeteria food because it was just killing me Mm -hmm. um but it was just the loneliness of it yeah it was brutal I've I've gone to terrible like I would never live in this place with Paulie but it's always a lot of fun because you're with him and you're usually with someone else and you have people you're you're just having fun and clowning on the place you're at and that's right you know you make experiences and you have you know you get jokes out of it but Vegas it was just I'm gonna kill 15 minutes by doing a show tonight what am I going to do with 23 hours and 45 minutes? Yeah. My parents actually flew out for the weekend and that was the best. And we did stuff like we drove out to red rocks, Mm -hmm. like left Vegas. See, my parents were going to come out, but they booked the wrong weekend. Damn it. Yeah. So I ended up driving there and and we, we did like the Hoover dam and stuff and it was still fun. Right. Thinking about maybe moving to the outskirts by the, the lake out there, but. Oh, that'd be cool. Um, but yeah, I was just, I was there alone and that was by far the worst experience. Not all the shows were bad. Some of them were good. Like it wasn't, I would do it again because I need the stage time. I need the money and, and I, I like performing, but I would want to have someone there with me or I'd lose my fucking mind. Yeah. I told her, uh, the girl that booked it, that I'd only do it if I could headline. Otherwise it wouldn't be worth it to me. And mm-hmm. she's like, yeah, I mean, I don't think they'll, book you as a headliner because 
what's his name? The original owner of the improvs. Uh, Bud Friedman. Bud Friedman still owns that one. He still runs it. So he's basically putting headliners that are guys he knew from when yeah. he was prime he's comedy club owner. Out. And that's good. He's, and that's cool. Yeah, yeah good, good, good for that. And the, the Lake Tahoe gig is kind of fun too. I, I prefer that over the Vegas one. I haven't done that, but I just did Reno for the first time. How was that? It was actually pretty cool. What uh, what room did you do in Reno? Did you do um, Silver Legacy or did you do that one guy's uh, it was, comedy? Uh, the Pioneer Underground. Yeah, I was going to say. Reno Tahoe Comedy Club. Yeah, and it was it was cool. Um, that was with Taylor, and, and we had a good time. Um, but, like, I don't know, that city, it's another place where you're like, oh, there's nothing to do here. It looks flashy and fun, but honestly, I don't, I don't like casinos. I think they're... Yeah, it's it's a just basically just a gross hotel if you yeah. don't if you don't gamble. Yeah. When I was in Reno, it was years ago and uh I went skiing. So that made it kind of fun. Mm-hmm. We went up to North Star and so I did that during the day for the three days. Or I was there for three nights, two days I did that and then drove back after the the last show on uh Saturday night or whatever it was. But yeah, I don't. I I just don't like the road. I got to be honest. I don't like. I really like it. I don't like. Uh, I don't like going places. I don't like traveling. I don't like being in most of America. I escaped Kansas mm-hmm. and like going to places like that drive me crazy. I went to Nashville, did Zanies with Renazizi like a month ago, and the shows were fun. And Nashville's. I mean, it's as cool as the South can get. Yeah, basically, but. Same thing, which is kind of, you know, we're both, me and Steve are both in our mid, late 30s, so we're not really going out and partying and yeah. all that stuff. I'm just sitting in a comedy condo all day, kind of like we were talking about. We're just like, what are we doing? No, I go out and do stuff, um, and Paulie's usually really active, so he has, like, a schedule that we follow, but I, I like the road. I don't mind traveling. I just, I don't know, there's something about Vegas. Yeah. Vegas is the only thing I... I I'm kind of uneasy about doing, but I would do it because I want the work because I'm young and and I need it. But I uh, I really like the road. I my, like I like hotel hotels, room. even my, shitty hotel rooms. I like I like just being somewhere and then going somewhere else. It's it's fun. My hotel room in Vegas was uh, faced out over that little outdoor music venue place they have, mm-hmm. and I must have heard Marky Mark and the Funky Bunches. <laughs> Y'all ready for this or what? Whatever his song was. Probably 40 times in the six, seven days I was there, I was just mm-hmm. like, I, I'm going to kill somebody. And when they're like, why did you murder 40 people, Rick? I'm like, it's that goddamn Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. And about every two and a half hours, it would play again. I'd just be like, no. I watched a lot of forensic files when I was in Vegas. <laughs> that That's the kind of excitement that I get into out there. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I've never had a good. Well, that's not. I had one good experience in Vegas. I did shows with Dice, and it was still to this day the biggest crowds I performed for. How big? It was like two thousand, maybe two thousand three hundred. Damn. It was a two thousand seven hundred seat theater, I think, and it was not sold out, but it was pretty close. And uh, the Mamma Mia Theater he used to do Mandalay Bay, mm-hmm. and uh, it was it was really cool. It was so much fun. He, he taught me a lot you know, kind of set me up to understand like this is going to be different than doing a show in the original room. And yeah. You got to take your time. Any joke you tell you, it's got to, it's going to take twice as long. Cause you got to 
pause more. You got to give them a chance to catch up. You got to let the energy catch the back of the room before you move on. And otherwise you're going to be talking over laughter. And uh, It was really fun. We had a great spinal tap moment too, where we were trying to go from Dice's suite to the theater through the back, uh, backstage and the behind the scenes walking with security guards taking us. And then we totally got lost and ended up <laughs> walking out into a, a shipping dock and the guy being like, uh, I'm, I'm just going to call someone to take us. And the guy showed up on a little golf cart, drove us all the way around the building. We had gone completely the wrong way. <laughs> it's like, wow, this really, this kind of stuff really happens. This is amazing. But I, I loved everywhere I went with dice. Paulie, I didn't have as great a time. I didn't really get that. The first couple times I went places with him, we hung out a lot. Mm-hmm. And then I, I don't know. I think he just didn't like me maybe because it stopped being that. And then it was just like me stuck in Brownsville, Texas, <laughs> waiting for Polly to call me at like five or six. Be like, dude, meet me in the lobby at seven. I'd do the radio early on with him. And then I stopped getting that invite. And, but some of the stuff you're talking about, the brotherhood and the bonding of, a lot of the shows I did, Steve Simone was my roommate, so mm-hmm. we got to be really close friends. And uh, I don't know if he still takes a bodyguard, but he had Terrell was his bodyguard for a while. No, it's uh, usually just uh, two of us. Yeah, just the comics on the show, or like I've gone with his assistant before. Okay. Yeah, I mean, about half the time it was Simone, and the other half the time it was this guy Terrell. It was super cool and it was fun, except for Terrell was always pulling chicks. He's like a six foot eight black dude and uh, girls just loved him. So I spent a lot of time sitting in hotel lobbies waiting for Terrell to get done handling business. Um, But yeah, I never, I never read the benefits of ladies on the road. And uh, so when comics like, well, that's part of the fun. Like I very rarely experienced that. Part of it now I think is, you know, I'm married, so I don't want to, I just don't, I'd rather stay home with my wife than go to Tuscaloosa or any of these places that a lot of comics have to go to. So I don't know. Um, do you, uh, do you have a podcast of your own? No, no podcast. No, no podcast. It's rare in this day and age to find a comic who's not podcasting for nobody. No time. I had a, a separate podcast for a while that I think maybe three people ever listened to. <laughs> And after a while, it's like me and Matt Nost used to do it. I'm like, why, why do we do this? He's like, I don't have any idea yeah. why we're doing this. But I like doing this one. This one's fun. Yeah, this one's good. Who? Uh, what comics do you watch? What comics do you like now? What? Who, uh, um, who inspires you still? To Bill do? Burr's number one. It's great. Yeah. I, I make my way here when I know he's going to be here. Yeah. Absolutely. He's the best. Um, I really like... Uh, I got into an argument with some comics recently about Bill Burr and Louis C.K., and both of them are obviously great, but yeah. I prefer Bill Byrne. I, I do as well. They're telling me I was crazy. And no. I was like, nope. Watch them both a lot. And mm-hmm. One of them you're going to see doing different stuff, and the other one you're going to see doing the same stuff. And yeah. I've brilliant. Seen, I've seen Burr here a hundred times, and a lot of times, multiple times a night in different rooms within minutes of each other. And the thing I love about it, besides the material just being better than anything I could ever hope to write, yeah, he does different order of everything. He usually doesn't do the same jokes Yeah, yeah in the rooms. Right. He'll go and do 15 minutes in the OR and then go up to the belly room, do 10 minutes, and it's completely different. 
It's and one of the best things that that I, I always liked about him. Yeah. In general, that's kind of how it goes because when you're a comic and you hang out at comedy clubs, you see a lot of the same comics. And it gets to the point, even if you love that comic, you're basically watching reruns. You can recite them. Yeah. But with him, it's like he'll go so and, different. and now he'll try a different tag or the punchline is completely different or the setup is completely different. And right. you're watching him literally experiment every time he goes up. I've never seen him tell the same joke the same way. Yeah, he's great. Dave Attell was like that. He used yeah. to come in here a lot more 10 years ago or whatever, but I could watch him go up a couple rooms or two nights in a row and not see him do the same joke yeah. and be like, wow, that's amazing. Um, so Burr, any other guys that... Um, I mean, there's or a, girls. There's a lot. I mean, I know you're a misogynist, woman <laughs> hater, but... I'm not, man. I I, <laughs> I love Sarah Silverman. Um I really like Maria Bamford, the comedians of comedy, all those guys, Patton and uh, Maria and Zach and Brian Posehn, they influenced right. me a lot. That's kind of how I got into stand-up was watching their documentary and going, hey, I want to I want to do that. I want to be with friends and go on the road. And What are you, a nerd? I, I am. You just yeah. mentioned the nerdiest comics ever, man. Um, I only like the really cool guys, Dane Cook, Chris D'Elia, and a uh, huge fan of... Josh Nasser, those are pretty much the big three for me. They're great performers, though. Uh, At the end say of the day, that, I guess I don't know. They're great performers. And people shit on them all the time, and and you know maybe they're not writing jokes that are influencing you to change the way you live your life like a burr. But we're we talking about Dane. Uh, we're talking about Dane or Chris. They're yeah. phenomenal. They're the best performers I've ever seen. They connect with crowds in a way that I don't think I'd ever be capable of of you know connecting with them and. And they kill every time they go up. It's undeniable. I I like Chris. I think Chris is funny. Chris is great. I I don't have the same feelings for Dane, but he's kind of been a dick to me over Um, the years. I I haven't really had too many run-ins with him, but uh, I, you know, I'm a comedy fan first. I, most of the time I don't feel like a comic. I feel more like a fan and I I collect comedy records, uh, CDs, vinyl and all that stuff. and, And I go and I see shows and I still, I've paid for shows within the last few months. It's insane. Yeah. I, I just love stand up. You're a man I, that loves the craft. I love the craft and cause I didn't, you know, I didn't have a bad childhood and I didn't have anything happen to me. I yeah, just me too. I got was, into it cause it's, it's fun, you know? I always and, really felt like, you know, my parents, they really hurt me as a comedian by giving me a great my life. My parents were so supportive yeah. of everything. Said I wanted to be a baseball player when I was, you know, younger, and I wasn't going to be. I was we were, five feet yeah. tall. My we're, dad built a batting cage in the backyard. We were on the same path. I was positive I was going to be a second baseman yeah. for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Ended up not working uh, out. So, uh, you know, I, I watched uh, them, and I was like, this is what I had to do because I was going to be a writer, and then I decided I was going to start writing jokes, and that kind of led me to stand-up. And then there had always been the thing where, you know, my dad – let me listen to stuff when I was too young to listen to stuff. And he'd watch South Park with us when right. we were, you know, 13, 14 years old because he thought it was funny. Yeah, um, my, my house was the the liberal free zone in the middle of conservative Kansas. Yeah. So my house was always where we were, me and my friends were hanging out, watching rated R movies and listening to anything from, you know, old prior albums to Robin Williams' old albums, mm-hmm. even Adam Sandler CDs yeah, from the nineties. Uh, they're all gonna, gonna laugh, laugh at, at you. you. Yep. Yep. I was listen to almost to the point that this the C D no longer worked. And we had the cassette. Nice. It was the one of the when I got a CD player, I was probably 
I don't know, sixth, seventh grade, maybe something like that. Mm-hmm. The first two CDs I got were Pearl Jam 10 and Adam Sandler, They're All Gonna Laugh at You. And I didn't have a job or money, so I, I couldn't buy another CD until my birthday the following year. So for four months, it was either Pearl Jam <laughs> or Adam Sandler. That was how I was going to waste my time, which uh, which was glorious. I have no complaints about that yeah. either. Um, wow. So then uh, were there, there shows? Were there South Park? That, that's kind of your generation. You're more South Park, I guess, than Simpsons. Um, I'm kind of in between the two. I think I was, I mean, I came in when it was like the golden era of the Simpsons right? in the early to mid nineties. Right. And, uh, and South Park was, I wasn't a South Park fan until the movie came out. Mm -hmm. The the movie got me on board and now I think they do brilliant shows. Yeah. They're They're, the only show doing what they're doing. They're, it's amazing. Even if it's bad, it's still really good. It's better than anything else. Yeah. And there's, there's at least four or five episodes every season that are just so spectacular and what they get away with and Mm -hmm. what they're willing to say. And, uh, those guys are funny, man. They really do crush it. Mm -hmm. I was never really a family guy person. There's some episodes I really uh, liked. The original seasons. And then after it came back, it kind of just fell off for me. Yeah. I'm really only familiar with the first two. Mm -hmm. Some more funny, but. Um, what do you, you got anything going on now? You got stuff you want to promote at all? You doing shows anywhere? Not really. I'm just here. You're at the comedy store. Yeah. I'm just working. That's perfect because I hate promoting other clubs on this <laughs> podcast. Follow the comedy store. Yeah. Follow and the comedy store. Me. Say hi. It's Brenton on there. Uh, he's the reason why you're informed about what's going on here instead of stupid, uh, gimmick giveaways and the garbage that was going on pre-Brenton. They set everything up. Alf and Amy did a good job and they set everything up. I just figured out a way to to connect it. You know, they put the puzzle out there and then I put the pieces together. So everyone had an important part. So It's just that Brenton is really humble and doesn't want to admit that he changed it for the better in a good way. So it's very appreciated. It's very nice to be able to uh, be informed about what's going on here. And uh, you do a good job of doing Thank that you. without the, the crap and the clutter that a lot of comedy clubs posting memes of. Yeah. I don't get why they do that. Stupid. You things. don't need to be funny. You yeah. got shows. Yeah. They're just, people try too hard. It's yeah. my biggest pet peeve on earth is people trying to do anything. Just do. Yeah. If you're a comedy club, you, it's not expected that the building is going to tell hilarious jokes. Yeah. Like I was, I was on a show, but you were on it too. I'm pretty sure it was a remember like a month ago. It was uh it was like Bill Burr and Rogan and Dalia advertised. And I think maybe Jeselnik and then Natasha was a pop in. And then Louis CK and Chris Rock both came in. Sure. And it's like, we don't need to be yeah. funny about that. Just tell everybody, Hey, these are the these, guys that are going to be <laughs> here. So you should come. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a full on revival, it's, man. It's very simple very fun time to be at the comedy store. So, mm-hmm. um, come by, check out a show, see Brenton. Yeah. Stay, stay late. I go on around two. Come, <laughs> come say hi. Be a party all-star. Stick it out <laughs> to the end. Uh, y- my, you won't regret it. My favorite, by the way, when I'm driving in to do my set, like at 1230 and they're changing the marquee for tomorrow night's show. You already know. Yeah. You say, Oh, when am I on tomorrow's when I'm on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Come, come out guys. 8433 Sunset Boulevard. If you live elsewhere in the country or the world, make a pilgrimage. Come out, see a show. You're going to see more here than you're going to see anywhere else. Yeah. 
and and stop asking us to stream the shows. It's not going to happen. Yeah, that, that's not going to happen because no comics want to give up the artistic uh, value of. It's the last place comedy. that's really free. Yeah, it is. It's. Uh, I remember they tried to get us to sign something like six months ago, and everyone mm-hmm. was like, "I'm not signing that. Why yeah. would I do that?" Um, so yeah, come check out a show. I mean, you literally will see a year's worth of headlining comedians in one night, and it's all the time. Mm-hmm. So um, come check it out. Uh, listen to older episodes of the podcast if you haven't. Catch up and. Uh, Thanks for being on, Brenton. It was Thanks great talking with you. Yeah. And uh, yeah, man, come see a show. Thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, we'll talk to you again. Hopefully I'll get more guests to show up sooner. So uh, keep your ears out there. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye.